All right, welcome everybody. Welcome back to We All Speak in Poems. Today, Chantelle and I are sitting down with Kyle McAvoy. He is a multi-instrumentalist, a songwriter, and a producer, as well as the label founder of Saunderhaus and the label manager and A&R for memoir music as well as chill hop music. How's it going, man? It's going well, man. Just been uh, been a fun day. Yeah. Just got some got some breakfast with an artist and uh, dropped some some people off at the studio to make some jams. Nice. Perfect. Yeah. Sounds like so, a perfect day. Yeah. It's usually the usually what it is. Just a different artist coming in and just kind of hanging, showing them around Woodstock, and uh, yeah, just. Just at the end of the day, trying to just do whatever to make sure they're chill so they can make some tunes. For sure. Yeah. So that's where you're based out of, right? Woodstock, New York? Yeah. Yeah. I moved here uh, like six years ago, um, kind of after just like getting out of touring, touring world and uh, living in the city for a bit, going out to LA for a bit. And then I just wanted, it was kind of like actually right when, I mean, me and you, I think started making tunes and kind of getting in the Spotify world, like whenever six, seven years ago, you know, and like, yeah. it was kind of just like that's when I saw kind of the future of what was possible. So kind of was one of those things where I just had this kind of weird, just gut instinct to move somewhere like cheap up in the mountains. You know, I knew that I didn't need to be like around any other artists like co-writing or anything like that. So I didn't really need to be in a city. So I kind of just found a little studio up here and uh, yeah, just bought a house here a couple of years ago. So now it's pretty concrete. Amazing. Nice. Yeah. Um, so just to take it back, um, how did you start your music career? Like, where did it start? How did it start? Very, very humble beginnings. I um, I grew up in like suburban Connecticut um, in a town called Woodbury. And uh, next door to us, there's this town called Watertown. Um, and there was a little coffee shop called Cafe Napoli that was kind of like going, just always going out of business. Like it was Aww. just like, just like this little Italian guy who was just never really knew what he was doing and like it was just like all over the place Mm -hmm. and uh I remember somebody like bringing me to a show there you know like I was like skateboarding with a bunch of different kids and somebody was like oh yeah like this is the spot like every weekend we go to Cafe Napoli and um so I went there in the back there was like this back room that was completely empty and just kind of like tiles falling off the walls and shit and uh people just bring a PA system and just throw like I always describe it as like Woodstock like the festival for like 15 year olds like it was just like (laughs) 200 300 kids packed in this back room horrible just like high school bands you know like we were all just whatever and like open mics and stuff and um it was just kind of the social aspect of it for me like I was like this is so cool like I want to put on my own shows and do that so when I was like yeah 15 years old I started I got a PA system learned how to play guitar just joined all these random, I was playing like tons of bands and uh, I just started booking shows. Um, and I just kind of realized like how, like there were so many aspects of it where I enjoyed, you know, I really liked like bringing together tons of people, putting on like an event, just a place for people to go to. But then I also saw how quickly, like within a year or two, I had bands from on MySpace reaching out from like across the country, like, Hey, I heard you throw, I heard you throw together dope shows in this town. Can you hook up a show for us? And like, just booking like 30 year old punk bands, you know, like, cause it was also like, I guess the benefits of it too. It's like, you have kids that have their parents' money and it's like, you could charge 10, $15 a ticket and we could actually like pay bands. You know, we would give the owner of the coffee shop like tons of money. And then 
I, you know, we take our cut, just our band, and then we would give, be able to pay touring artists like five, $600. So it was, uh, it was cool, man. Oh, and wow. that, le- that led to the whole, I ended up like running a couple all ages venues in Connecticut, being the talent buyers there, got into the touring world, got to tour with like some of my favorite indie rock and indie pop artists. And, uh, eventually saw kind of the peak of it, you know, like being in arenas and tour buses and also seeing how, uh, not sustainable it is for most (laughs) for most artists and how that side of it is like it's a dark dark place you know um and yeah I kind of learned I think it was good that I did all that because got to see the world got to see the country but also learned like that was not it for me you know what I mean like I didn't want to I didn't want to be that guy like playing to arenas for a couple hundred dollars a night without health insurance and you know, taught me a lot at a young, a young age, you know, for sure. Yeah. So what's, what's the timeline there? Like, so you said, uh, you started doing that in the coffee shop around 15, but then like, you know, touring and actually arenas and stuff, when does that come into play? Uh, so actually I booked my first U.S. tour when I was 16 years old. So it was a pretty, so it was probably like maybe like 14, 15, I started booking local shows and then I think 16 was the year where I was like, everyone else was older than me in our band. So they all had their licenses and stuff. And uh, that's when I was like, yo, I just built up all these contacts, you know? So I was like, I'm going to try to book my own tour and hit, cause that's like how it works. You know, mm-hmm. you hook someone up with a show, they hook you up and that's just kind of like the unspoken thing. So uh, definitely wasn't amazing. <laughs> you know, like we would like show up in Missoula, Montana and play at a VFW to eight people at a biker bar or like, you know, but then there's like surprising, amazing shows like Omaha, Nebraska to hundreds of kids. And uh, yeah, I kind of just saw like that side of it and how how cool it was to find these niches. And uh, I kind from there, I started like, yeah, booking booking tours for a bunch of friends. And um, yeah, the talent buying thing was weird, too, because I literally was like playing a show at this venue with one of my bands. It was like a 300 cat room. And I remember like the the current talent buyer he just kind of was like getting in some little fight with the owner and he's like, you know what? That's it. I quit. And I was just like hanging out there and he's like, man, who am I going to find a book shows? And I was just like, I could try it out, oh, you know? Wow. And it was literally just like being, yeah, 16, 17 and reaching out to like, he taught me like what the bit, you know, that guy on his way out just taught me like, here's what gross box office receipts means. Here's like the lingo. Here's back end, you know? And, I mean, I, I'm. it's crazy that people even responded because, I mean, when, looking back, it's like some of the bills that I put together then, like, would be, like, I remember we did a show that was, like, Porches, Frankie Cosmos, Japanese Breakfast, and Alex G, you know? <laughs> and it's like, now that show would be, like, yeah. at a 5,000 cap room, you know? But we did it 300 cap for, like, a $500 package, oh you know? God. Or, like, Tokyo Police Club, Matt and Kim, Mac DeMarco. So I, it was kind of the beauty of, like, when you're in Connecticut, you're in this middle middle state where it's like everyone always holds like three or you know two or three new york city shows and if those don't sell out they're just like fuck it let's run a connecticut date and you could get like a last minute really good deal with an amazing band on their way up to boston so i kind of learned the importance of like these little niches and kind of using that to your advantage you know wow yeah so it kind of seems like even from the start you took everything into your own hands like yeah yeah i've just always i've always been just like when I focus on something, it's like the typical artist thing. Like when you go into the studio and you forget to eat for 12 hours, you know, like I've been like that with life. Like even in high school, like they tested me for like learning disabilities and stuff. Like they were just like, what is wrong with this kid? Like, like he's like smart, 
and motivated, but he can't do any, you know, like, like I would just fail every class could never focus on anything. But then when it came to something, I, even if it was like something stupid, like building jumps in my backyard, like for, you know, like I would go all out, like I just turned my parents' backyard into like a huge BMX dirt track, you know, <laughs> like it's cool. like, just like, yeah. Like, I mean, just anything I, I do in life, I just, I become obsessed with it. So it's kind of like OCD, I guess. Like, so that's, I think with music, it's, it's kind of one of those things. It's like running labels and that lifestyle. It's like, you kind of have to be like a masochist in a way because yeah. it's just exhausting and you wake up every every day and you're like, I can't do this anymore. But someone sends me an album or a song and it's like, fuck, the world needs to hear this. I will do anything I can to get this in the, in the world. You know, yeah. and it's like, and like how much passion you have. For yeah, you have to, you have to, man. Yeah. It's just, I've seen so many people that, you know, it's just like either you're either like a lifer or you're not, yeah. you know, like there's, there's people that do it as a hobby and then they start realizing like, shit, this is like a lot, a lot of work. And it's like, maybe it's not your full-time thing or maybe, you know, but like, if you're one of those people that's like puts in 70 hour weeks without even realizing, like, then it's, that's your thing, man. You're a lifer. You yeah, know? exactly. And it seems like, you know, with the passion that everybody can see up from you, um, it's like, yeah, you've become successful now, but even if you weren't making money, you'd probably still be working these 80 hour, 90 yeah. hour weeks, you know what I mean? Yeah. Still grinding and stuff. Oh yeah. I mean, it took years and years before I turned any profit yeah. at all. You know, like I got so used to doing free work that I, I just don't even think about money. <laughs> you yeah, know, like it's, sure. I think that's the thing I tell artists. It's like, if you're, and it's not even a matter of like, that's typical for the music industry or like, you know, you need to get taken advantage of, but it's like, no dude, like there's literally like when you're starting off, like, like it's like, I bring artists up here that are like smaller artists that I kind of believe in. And you know, they're younger, like 19 years old or, you know, whatever, just started college. And I'm like, I'll throw you up in an Airbnb, just go to the studio every day. I don't care who's recording. I don't care what you're doing. Just like, hang, try to, help engineer try to learn how to mic up shit better watch what they do you know like bringing in a bigger artist and just because like i wish i had that you know like i i definitely had mentors but i didn't have anyone to tell me like yo like just get in there and do whatever because like that's that's just half of it and just learning from others and also seeing other musicians like making a living from music is just like okay what are they doing you know so yeah yeah it's really important to have that circle Yeah, it um, helps. It helps a lot. Yeah. I, I notice like once artists come up here, even if it's five days, but they get to meet all these other artists, they come back home and they're like, I could do it. You know, <laughs> like, it's like, cool. I just yeah, met 10 sure. people that are all living and working out of a studio and making like solid livings, you know, just making music. So I think just that, cause it is like, you know, obviously parents and, you know, it's like when I left the touring world and everyone in my life was like, what the fuck are you doing? You know, <laughs> like, it's just like you were just on tour with like <laughs> all these cool bands. And now you're like living back at your parents' house and making ambient music. And at the time, it's like I wasn't anybody, you know what I mean? So it's just like from the outside, a lot of people, I think, questioned it. But you kind of have to have that thing in the back of your mind that's like long term. You see the vision and, and could stick with it, you know? When you were touring, um, what band like were you with and what kind of music was it? So I, just in like high school, I was in all different types of bands. Like I always played at like six different bands at a time. Um, I was really into like math rock, like DIY kind of, oh, yeah, cool. like I was like just tappy trying to like 
shred as hard as possible. Um, and then, yeah, I joined this band called Bare Hands just like as a, a merch person. Um, and I was just kind of like just driving, you know, touring with them, just kind of helping out like assistant to their tour manager, essentially. And then we did some dates with Cage the Elephant. Um, and it was like one of those things where like, their merch person didn't show up one day and it was just like, yo, we don't have a merch person. Can you do both? And I was like, sure. And then after that, their tour manager was like, you killed it, bro. Like stay on the rest of the dates, you know, like, and, and like wow. little, like we'd That's play awesome. with like Mac DeMarco on a, at a college on Friday. And he'd be like, yo, you want to come to New York tomorrow? I'd be like, sure. You know? <laughs> so it was literally like whatever, whatever I could do really, you know, like, and then all the artists I worked with, I just hop on tour with people. Like I was always, just like road dog, you know, <laughs> like whatever you needed me to do. I just want to go and learn and kind of do, do whatever. Yeah. Um, and then, I mean, the live show stuff, it was like, I kind of realized that lifestyle too, showing up at like seven o'clock for a sound check and then waiting till 4am till everyone leaves, you know? And like, I was running this venue in college. So I literally was like playing a college soccer game, going to class, driving down to Connecticut for a show, driving wow. back up that night, you know, like letting, we having some artists <laughs> crash at my parents' house in Connecticut and then being like, dude, what are you doing? You know, <laughs> like, it's just like, I can't count the number of times, like, we've just had bands at my childhood house, like, you know, their band <laughs> breaks down and they just have to live there for four days and my parents are just like, like at their final limit with me, you know, like oh, so no. <laughs> they really were supportive and kind of just came through. Um, just out of curiosity, what did you go to college for? So like, I, I went to um, a small, like liberal, or, uh, sorry, liberal arts college in Franklin, Massachusetts called Dean college for uh, technically it's called like arts management. So that was kind of, I think I applied to like, six schools and didn't get into any of them and this was the one school that I got in and it was kind of like they had like a, a division three soccer program and they also had arts management so I was like this is my option <laughs> you know like I only pretty much got in because of the soccer stuff and uh it was cool I mean it was more like I definitely didn't learn anything at all <laughs> but it was you don't think no so? I mean it was more like if you wanted to run your own nonprofit or like your own theater like your own oh, theater or like dance program. Um, and a lot of the other people there were dance majors and theater majors. Um, mm -hmm. But I think it taught me a lot about like, even just talking to like my professor, you know, like he was always just like giving me good kind of like real life lessons. Like one thing he noticed, like, he's like, bro, like you have no idea how to delegate, you know, <laughs> like he's like, he's like, you, you go straight. Like I went to the president of the college and I was like, I want $10,000 right now to do a school music, to do like a school music <laughs> festival. Cause we've never done a fall fest. And l luckily it was like small enough where she's like, okay, go for it. You know, let's make, let's make a arts wow. and entertainment club. And like, but stuff like that, he would notice like I'm doing everything. Like I'm getting the posters made. I'm promoting myself. I'm booking it. And he's just like, why, like, why do that to yourself? And that's kind of my thing is like, I had to unlearn a lot of the stuff I, I taught myself because I was so used to like, almost like, it's not like you can't count on anybody, but it's like, I just, it's like kind of like a control thing. Like, I'm just like, I, you know what I mean? I like, that. it's just like, I want to be in charge of just like when this comes out and just getting this done. And I like yeah. this artist a lot. So I'm going to have them do the poster and like, it's kind of, and you know, it'll get done. Right yeah, you're exactly. Doing it and... Which is good <laughs> yeah. and bad because like still, that's the deal with Sonder House right now. It's like we've had the yeah. opportunity to scale and 
we just don't because I just like, I don't, I can't <laughs> think of someone else like answering an email and being like checking out songs, you know, like, it's like, I want to be the one. And it's also like, yeah, there's so many big indies and stuff where it's like, you can't even get in touch with your A&R person or your, the president, you know what I mean? And it's just like, it's a little bit too open, I think, but I kind of like it that way. <laughs> like, it's just like, when you're dealing with hundreds of artists a day, you know, it's, it's overwhelming, but it's also the way we do stuff. It's kind of meant to like teach the artists how to do everything. And if they can't do something, they come to me and that's it. It's like, we cut out every management, you know, you don't need a PR person. You don't need this or that. It's like you and the art. It's just me and the artist. Everything is like a, a partnership. Yeah. They learn how to, how to do all their day-to-day management. They learn everything about music. And it's kind of like when I need to make the big connection or, make something happen we do it but besides that it's like that's I just think that's how it should be you know like there's obviously Mm -hmm. exceptions but it's just about trimming the fat you know like too many artists because I I went through all that as you know like I'm sure like you've had your own things Brady where it's like you start popping off on Spotify and then all these managers and PR people are just like what's up let me show you all the stuff I do we're gonna make you a star and you're like okay you know (laughs) and then you you clearly yeah, exactly. realize like oh okay everyone's taking their cut and just like profiting yeah. off something that I've spent my whole life just putting my time and energy into you know and it doesn't doesn't feel good you know no yeah absolutely and it, it's funny because you were saying like uh you have like a hundred artists mm-hmm. or whatever and probably more than a hundred artists and it's crazy because I'm not even part of Sondra House I don't think I've mm-hmm. ever had a release with you I've had a release on uh yeah. memoir on, under a compilation but um oh actually and with with mm-hmm. voga but um anytime i've hit you up it's always like at the latest half an hour and you'll always respond Bruh. with like full answers and stuff and it's like dude <laughs> it's, this is crazy my girlfriend like, hates it so much <laughs> it's definitely one of those things where it's like i try to use my like ocd to my advantage in a way where it's like if you look at my desktop right now i have like long-term projects every folder in the middle is like stuff i need to immediately upload everything on the right is like my organization of like sonder house chill hop here's this label and it's kind of like i i force myself to like wake up this is what i need to get to like if i finish the day and those folders are in the middle like my brain can't function you know so that's why it's very yeah even like the email or like i've kind of just gotten little strategies like that where like i can never leave a text go more than like an hour, you know, like it's like immediately get to the text. If it's important, send them to my email. And then, yeah, I just always like mark it as a draft, you know? And it's like, if I go, it's like, cool. I always need to have under 30 emails and like 20 drafts a day or else it's like, I just know that I'm going to drown in work, you know? (laughs) So it's like, I try to, yeah. So I try to do that. And like, I don't know, it's, it's good and bad. Like, I think it's different when I, when I talk with like kind of managers of artists or labels and they we talk about how Sondra House is set up like that's something they always like say like hey like mentors are like you need to give yourself a break between your personal life and music life and you need to set boundaries but it's also I just see like both sides of it you know <laughs> like I literally have like an artist yeah living in my office right now you know and like oh, wow. it is what it is like it's like what else what else are you gonna do you know <laughs> like it's like if you know Absolutely. like I think you kind of it's like, yeah, kind of, uh, if you know the label Sergeant House, like the way Kathy Pello, like she's the the owner, like, you know, I don't agree with like everything she does, like music industry wise or how it's completely run, but it's like, 
the whole idea of Sargent House is like she just has this property that's like studio, house for a band, and like her whole thing has been like if if you work with me, I'm everything. Like I'm your manager, I'm your label, but it's just us and you like what it's mine is yours. You know, <laughs> like it's like you could stay yeah, over my house. You know, you could use whatever you want that I could provide, like, and it's just like, it's like just what you would do for your best friends, you know, and I think that kind of relationship with music is like, it's just such a personal thing, you know, like you can't, can't have that without like having a deep personal connection with like each person you work with, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so obviously you're like super passionate about music and it seems like you're pretty excited to have like, you know, all your organization and and to get stuff Mm -hmm. done every day. Like, it seems like that's your motivation. But do you ever feel burnt out or have you ever felt burnt out? Yeah. It's been a long time that you've been doing all this. I (laughs) mean, when I started, I moved up here and tried to go full time music as an artist um, like six, you know, six, almost seven years ago. And that year was like a big learning year because first of all, I realized I can't do that. Just, just relying on my own music. Like it was too much for me mentally, just sitting in a studio every day. And like, I was the most unmotivated and unproductive I've ever been. And then I started having all these kind of like mental health issues and kind of questioning everything. And like that led me to like really dive deep into the mental health world. And I actually worked um, with like adults with developmental disabilities and I kind of, it was kind of one of those oh, wow. things, like, I was so scared of, like, my own brain. I was like, I need to learn everything about this shit that I can. So I, I started working this job where it was, like, I worked six days a week, overnight shifts, like, and I was working in a house with eight men with, like, borderline personality, autism, schizophrenia. Um, and it became, like, this close family, you know, where, like, I was just, like, their kind of, like, direct support provider. And I did that for like three years while doing music and like starting the label. Um, and that part of it, I think kind of taught me just so much about like trusting kind of your mental stuff, you know, and just like the limits that I had because like, yeah, I would work, you know, three overnight shifts and be working 60, 70 hours. And then also like be running the label and have artists in the studio and trying to complete deadlines. So wow. that was definitely kind of like when I hit my, my limit and I realized like, okay, you know, and I waited three years pretty much until I had the stability to go back to music, you know? Um, and then, yeah, I just kind of like applied that same work ethic just to the labels and music. And then I started seeing, like, I started having all these health issues, you know, like I have like autoimmune stuff and I started like my Lyme disease. I have like a thyroid autoimmune disease. Yeah. So it's like, when you combine those, like, it's like, I don't, I don't just burn out. It's like, I'm going, going, going. And then one day it's like, I have a fever of 103 and I collapse and I need to go to the hospital. You know what I mean? (laughs) So it's like, yeah. So I just kind of realized like, as I get older, number one, I can't push those limits anymore, you know? And also just being aware of like, yeah, mentally how it's affecting me, you know, like when you're dealing with like trying to get your artists out of some like scumbag managers, fucking contract and they're threatening lawyers and like, you get you're like if you're an empath an empathic person like that's gonna affect you you know what I mean like it's like someone else's yeah. traumas or like this crazy shit it's not like you're just gonna like unless you want to turn into like music business like sociopath which ninety nine percent of like managers and people in the in- industry are <laughs> and I've just been so aware of of that and not letting myself turn into that and it is it's tough but I think that's important just to step back and be like 
none of this shit really matters that much <laughs> you know like it's like yeah it doesn't sure. need to be like this huge dramatic thing and most people you could just have a conversation with you know and i just really yeah i mean it's it's that's something too is like i i'm the one too that's like 3 a.m artist calls me and they're having like a, a manic breakdown it's like i'm also that's when i turn into just like friend and therapist you know Aww. because that's like what that's i tell fun. artists you know like i'm just like dude i've been there you know <laughs> like i've had my breakdowns mm-hmm. i've gone to whatever you know gone to the psych hospital yeah. when i was like 21 and just like thought my life was like ending and like so it's like when these artists because it's like it's just so intense when everything especially some like some of the artists we work with with social media that are like tiktok influencers and like you know it's just like thousands of comments from random people like negative yeah. or positive and like i'm just like dude you can't let anyone like you know you know who you are you know and so a lot of yeah, yeah i've dealt with that i've done with all it's, it's amazing the amount of uh I can't even go into detail about like some of the stuff, but it's like <laughs> when you get really involved in artist lives, man, I mean, it's like, you know, crazy, crazy stuff. Yeah. I think that's one of the things like a lot of people try to speak about it, you know, um, mental health yeah. and music and stuff. And there are quite a few people trying to do stuff like uh, Liam J. Hennessy. He started his uh, nonprofit mm-hmm. to help musicians with mental health issues and stuff uh he's the only one mm-hmm. i can think of off, off the top of my head and i wish i knew the name of it off the top of my head too <laughs> but um it's such it's so important like we all go through it to certain yeah. degrees you know everybody's different but it's, there's yeah, more it's yeah and i think there's more level there's more kind of like attention being brought to it like my dream has always been to be able to like put a therapist on salary and just have sondra house like cover that and just like let all our artists have access to that so that's kind of like what I'm trying to work towards is like, instead of scaling the company with like different day-to-day people, like just resources, you know what I mean? Like trying to get people yeah. health insurance, because that's also a thing. It's like, imagine you're an artist, you don't have health insurance, you're going through like a mental health crisis. That was like a situation we've had, you know, where the artist is like, I need to go to the hospital, but I have no insurance, you know? And it's just like, yeah. I want to be able to offer something that could help that, you know? Um, so I think the industry yeah. is starting to like get just more aware of that and kind of like offer more stuff, but it's, uh, it's tough because so many artists, like that personality of like being insatiable, like, it's just like, you always want to make a better song. You always want to make a better album. Like you're never happy with this. And then when that applies to your personal life, like it's tough, man, when people, when people get in deep, it's, it's heavy. You know, I think that kind of the creative brain, it's, it's like double-edged sword you know absolutely yeah it's really easy to like deflate and kind of oh yeah all motivation all all, especially with social media like i find you know there's just so much being shared all the time and then it makes you question like am i even creative like have i made something this good and you're comparing yourself well and it's 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 like definitely changed too because i remember when i was in college it was like that shit fucked me up so bad just seeing like oh man this tour is getting announced this artist just got on pitchfork like I'm not doing anything. I'm in college wasting my music career, you know, like, and now it's just turned into like, oh man, this person has whatever, 300,000 followers and everything they do, people like eat up. And like, I have other artists that see that from other artists and that makes them upset because they're like, what am I doing wrong? You know, like I'm putting out music that I think is just as good and we're doing, I mean, that's also, it's, it's tough because our business model too, it is so transparent where it's like, 
you know, one of our artists that's getting 30 million streams a month versus one of our artists that's getting a thousand streams a month, like we're doing the same exact thing, you know, <laughs> like it's like, here's yeah. everything I know. We're doing your pitch for all the DSPs. We have this, this great distribution that pitches. We set you up with our licensing company, you know, and like, we're doing everything we did for the same artist. And like, I don't always have the answer, you know, like, it's like, it's tough to say. Sometimes there's just kind of like freak, freak stuff where an artist, you know, we've had artists yeah. where it's like, they post a music video on YouTube, their first ever post. And it's like overnight, you know, viral and their careers just changed after that, you know, and we've had some that have like, I've worked with artists that I've literally been doing it for 15, 20 years. And like, you know, we're just still, it's the long term. It's the marathon, you know? Absolutely. <clears throat> yeah. I think that's what a lot of people have to realize. Like, I'm sure you get even more messages and mm -hmm. stuff than I do, obviously. But um, yeah, it's like, sometimes it's just timing, like right place, right oh, time. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm confident that's how it happened yeah. for me. Like, you know, Spotify we're was both, just coming out. Yeah, I was we're just both there. The same. You know, <laughs> that realm. Yeah, I caught like, like yeah, we didn't... I caught the two kind of like, like I remember like being in in college and putting out like an instrumental EP, getting on these big ambient playlists, and for some reason I just always it was like you, Oliver Arnold's Nils from Library Tapes, and like mm -hmm. I don't know, like you know, <laughs> there was just like in like that dude, like Joe Beving, like the piano player. Like, I just remember there was these yeah. kind of specific artists and it also felt so much like, like a huge playlist, like stress relief or peaceful piano. There's like 50 or like a hundred tracks on it. And it was all names that I recognized and it was this little community. And then like, that was before it all got super diluted and crazy. But I just remember like, that was that. And then a couple of years into it, I had a couple of like lo-fi people being like, yeah, I love your guitar work. Can I sample it? And I was like, I don't even know what Chill Hop is. Like, what you know, like what is? Yeah. And they're like, Oh, can we <laughs> can we release it on this label, Chill Hop? And that was another one of those things where it was like, right place, right time. You know, Spotify just came out, the ambient stuff took off, and then Lo-Fi Beats to Study and Chill too just became like a huge meme. You know, and just was going like into the mainstream <laughs> as this was happening. So it was kind of crazy to look back at those two things, and it also like humbles you as an artist i guess too because i'm just like yo this was like even six years before like five years before i would be like working my manual labor job that I, you know like this is what yeah, i say yeah, all the time. I mean, yeah it is it is wild <laughs> but i think it also is like okay like you know i guess you some people whatever depending on how you look at it people are like yeah man you like yeah. right place right time you like mm -hmm. knew kind of what you were doing and you're able to navigate it and that's half of everything in life you know it's like just taking a yeah just be, be ready. ready and just knowing like yeah you know and and not to whatever just give it all away to somebody or sign that deal or you know like it's like take your time and, and learn it yourself and then you can make make different deals and make kind of different you know moves for I mean, sure. since you mentioned chill hop, uh -huh. a chill hop, um, how exactly did you like get started with that? Them? Was also like, yeah, I guess like right place, right time, where one of their big artists, uh, this guy Simon, who goes by the name Philanthrope, um, he's like one of like the largest kind of lo-fi artists in the world, and uh, at the time, chill hop was two employees or three employees. It was him, the owner, boss, um, the CEO, and then this guy Bastion who does artwork. And Simon came over to visit a friend, like this dude, Brock Berrigan. Um, and that was kind of like right as we all were talking, you know, and they're like, yo, we want to come up to Woodstock and check out your studio. 
Simon is like total, just old school, like beat sample guy. And I was like, yo, if you come up, I'll lay down some guitar riffs. Let's hang out and see how it goes. And it was just like right at the time where like they were just expanding as a label. Um, and they had this idea for like an ambient sub label. Um, and it was kind of just one of those things like, he's like, huh, who's an ambient like artist who also understands the industry, you know, <laughs> like in like who could run this label. And it, he came back to the Netherlands and told the owner boss, like essentially, Hey, I know this guy who runs his own label also understands ambient music and like is in the lo-fi world and just overall has a taste of like, you know, he's always with different artists. Like it's kind of just like exactly what I was doing. Um, and that was, I mean, amazing just because like, I always, you know, just boss like going out of his way to like really bring me on board and like give me my first like stability in the music industry where it's like, Oh, this is like, like even just telling my parents, like I remember I called them and I was like, so like I'm leaving, I'm leaving the house, you know, working with the kids with like developmental disabilities. And I was like, I'm working for a record label. And they're like, okay. And I was like, no, it's like a, like a salaried, <laughs> salaried job. I get to go over to the Netherlands and like wake up every day and make my own schedule. And even just that, like, I think it was kind of like a, like just holy shit moment for my parents because I'm sure they were just terrified, <laughs> you know, like my whole career was just going to be this up and down crazy thing. And I think, yeah, yeah just kind of seeing that was, was cool, you know? Wow. I want to bring it back mm -hmm. again. Um, when did the actual, when did you start producing and stuff? Did you just take it into your own hands again because you couldn't find studios? Yeah. Or like, I mean, did that come I've always naturally? recorded in studios with like, live bands and stuff back when I was younger and I hated that feeling of just like, okay, it's $500 a day and here's the time frame or you're paying 50 bucks an hour. And like, and I just could not, that's like not my thing. I can't like play on the spot if I want to work out an idea. Like I didn't like that vibe. So it was kind of when I was like graduating college, I I had so much equipment that was like bartered pretty much. Like a band would be like, if you book us a tour, we'll just give you like some amps or, you know what I mean? Like it was like, just no cause way. like, yeah. Cause That's it was sick. also like what I can't, I don't even know what my rate was for like booking a DIY tour. Yeah. So I just had acquired so much gear, like as a musician. And it's also like you go out on tour and it's just like your guitar amp breaks and you have to like make some makeshift, whatever, you know, like, so I just had, I had all these guitar amps and guitars. I had just like a simple interface and, uh, when I came up to Woodstock, I like stopped. I went to go visit this artist named Keith who plays, uh, his project is called The Shivers. Um, like one of my favorite songwriters of all time. I came to visit him, pulled off the Woodstock exit, went to like a coffee shop and opened up my computer just to look at like on Craigslist, like apartments and stuff. And it just said like rehearsal space for rent, $400. And I just called the guy, he was in town. He's like, yeah, I'll go show it to you now. So I went there. Um, and that's when it just like hit me. Like I was just, even though I like still to this day, I'm not a big production guy at all. Like I don't know half the equipment in my own studio <laughs> or like what it does. Um, <laughs> but I just on the spot was like, I'll take it. Like I'll make it work. And I, uh, yeah, I just brought all my gear up the next week. It was the middle of December, which was also crazy. Cause it's like, just telling my parents like, Hey, I'm going to move up to upstate New York <laughs> right before Christmas. Didn't have a job. Uh, and I just lived out of the studio with like, no, no, uh, running water, no bathroom or anything. And essentially just taught myself like how to record myself well enough so I could at least get stuff out there. Um, and yeah, from there, 
I mean, now it's been great because we've been able to like build up a really amazing studio with all types of gear and we have tons of in-house engineers and just artists that work out of it. So I don't even, you know, I'll just hit up one of my buddies and they record with me, which is nice. Um, but yeah, the producing stuff was kind of just out of necessity, <laughs> you know, just kind of like, let's see what happens. And and still to this day, it's like, I'm direct into a space echo and then a focus ray. And then I record all my parts, maybe some roads or bass. And then I send it out to talented producers and people that I admire. And, and it's, everything's like 50, 50, just we go into it together, you know? And I just, I love capturing like organic sounds and ideas and, laying down scratch tracks of like what I hear in my head and then like hitting up people that I love and seeing kind of what happens, you know? For sure. Yeah. It's so interesting hearing you talk, like even from your beginnings and stuff, you're such like a community Mm -hmm. focus kind of guy. And I'm the complete opposite where I got into, (laughs) I got into this because I didn't want to be in bands. I don't want to deal with people. It's just so interesting, like, and even watching all the collaborations you do, like, you collaborate with oh, so yeah. many people. Everything. And I'm like, I wish it's, I had the, there's, the patience. There's pros and cons, you <laughs> yeah. know? Like, I think it just, that was also one of those things where, like, when I was younger, I loved uh, this artist in middle school. It was this, like, super poppy, like, any pop dude, the Rocket Summer, who was kind of, like, in the pop punk world. But his big thing is, like, he played every instrument on his record, and he recorded everything. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I got to do that. You know, like, in middle school, I was like, I just got to learn how to fiddle with every instrument enough to record my own stuff, and that's all I would do. I'd go in my parents' basement with, like, just recording through, like, a, a mic on a laptop, <laughs> you know, and just, like, record each yeah. instrument. And, like, yeah, I just became obsessed with that, like, at least, like, putting together these, like, sound collage type things of all these instruments. And, uh, yeah, it's, like... I just hit a certain point where I'm like, okay, I could like shred a little guitar and keys and drums, but like, I'm not a drummer, you know, (laughs) like, let me, let me send this to someone who's like an amazing drummer. And like, yeah. I was going to ask, do you play a lot of instruments? I do play, yeah, I play a lot of instruments. Like I pretty much play any kind of normal instrument there is. Um, I started on drums and guitar and piano just kind of became like the thing that was easiest to do. And it is weird because I've had, yeah, some of the piano stuff really pop off on Spotify. So people always think I'm like this piano, but it's like, they don't know that I'm literally like, I go into a studio, press record, and I just improv for three minutes. And like, (laughs) I'm like, basically, like, I just play the white keys. And I don't know, I don't know music theory. I don't know any chords. I don't know how to read music. Um, So I've always been more like improv, capture the vibe. And that's, that'll come through the recordings, you know, um, it, I just don't have the patience to write a whole thing. Like, it's like most, you know, I know artists that work on the same song for, for days or weeks or months and plot everything out and make revisions. And I'm just like, I'll go and record 10 songs in a day. And like, and even that's my style still. Like I record almost all my music in fall and winter when I'm just like super, de- like super depressed right. and just hibernating. <laughs> yeah, like it's like, <laughs> that's when I go like, Pretty much, like, I'm just getting in there. We're, like, after this artist goes home, like, that's kind of it for, like, visitors. And, like, I'll go record hundreds of songs and just be isolated and, like, lone wolf shit. And then I space them out under all my projects for the whole year. So it's, like, it looks like I'm releasing music every two weeks. But, like, I haven't made music in six months because in the summertime, like, I I just can't. You know, (laughs) like, I just want to. Yeah. Do you find that hard getting back into music then when like winter does? It's almost like one of those things like 
you start kind of worrying like the last couple of weeks i was like fuck is it gonna hit you know <laughs> like, like is it gonna happen am i ever gonna be able to like feel inspired again and then it's like i don't know it was just one night i like went out to like a bar with my friend and there's a little bonfire and i was like putting on my flannel and jeans and it was like cold fall air and i was like this is it like <laughs> i just knew that it like yeah. came back because i instantly just like was driving there and put on like some super sat like like sun kill moon or some shit and i was like dude i'm ready <laughs> i'm ready to just like, it's like yeah it, it just it comes back <laughs> and it is cool because you just like you've had a whole year worth of like new experiences you know and like a whole year of different artists come in and hanging out and learning from everybody and you know it's been very like it's been kind of like my as silly as it sounds like the way I've been doing it, I guess is very like Rick Rubin esque. <laughs> like it's like, I watched that documentary a couple of years ago of like his, his studio in Malibu yeah. and everything. And like, I just loved it. Like, I was just like, that makes so much sense. Like have this studio that's filled with every piece of gear you could ever want, have amazing engineers and amazing team of like, like we have a whole kind of like the wrecking crew, like type thing up here where it's like 10 artists that are all multi-instrumentals could shred on any track. And, uh, my whole thing is like, I'll put you in a nice hotel or Airbnb, make sure you're like eating good food. You could borrow one of my cars and that's, you could explore Woodstock, but like, I'm not there at all. Like they're in the studio all day with like amazing engineers making their music. I stop in at night and I'm just like, sounds good. You know, <laughs> like it's like, and like, it's, <laughs> it's kind of the way that I, I would want to record as an artist, you know what I mean? Just somebody being like, here's a beautiful location you're in the mountains you know like you're surrounded by just like talented people that their only focus is whatever you want you know like making your dream record um and just kind of letting them like not have to worry about anything for that week because it's like some of our artists too it's like yeah if you're working at a coffee shop in LA and you're just like trying to find time each night to do something like imagine like you have two weeks off paid for where your only job is just to let out all your fucking emotions, you know, and, and just capture yeah. it with talented people that are just there for you. So it's been, uh, it's been really cool to see just what, what they're capable of too. That's amazing. Yeah. That really is amazing. Like, it sounds like we need to go to Woodstock. You guys gotta come hang, man. It's, uh, yeah. I mean, I use my own studio probably like two days a month at the most. <laughs> so it also is like, you know, that was my whole thing. It's like, we've, I just, gave a bunch of keys to all the all the people that live up here that we work with and uh it's kind of just like part of the Sondra house deal it's like if you release with us you could use the studio for free whenever um so i just want it to be used every day and hope that people just get kind of what i what i got out of it and there's definitely like some weird like magic -y woodstock upstate hippie stuff <laughs> because it's like we've just had this thing where artists come that they, they're gonna stay a week and then I'm like, you know, they're like, yo, can I just live in the studio for a month or two? And I'm like, okay. And they just do the same exact thing I did. Like they move here for a couple months. They realize they can make a living out of music. They end up getting an apartment here. And it's like, we've had, I think at this point, six artists who have like moved here full time and uh, just wow. doing the same thing, you know? So there's uh someone told me the other day in Saugerty is like the exact town I'm in, like five minutes from Woodstock. There's a myth where we have like the blue mountains and I guess if you sleep under the blue mountains for more than a week straight, like you can never leave. Like, it's like, you always, you always <laughs> want to come back. And it is, it's funny. Cause it's like, you know, they go home and then they're like, I think I'm going to come back out. You know, <laughs> like, it's like, 
Oh, wow. That sounds so inspiring. Yeah, you're really doing what everybody kind of dreams to do, you know? Like the Bonnie, the Bonnie Bear thing. Man. The Bonnie Bear. <laughs> thing. Exactly. It's, I mean, it's good location too because like New York City is two hours away, so it's like that's a big amount of uh, like you know. Last week we had a punk band like Matt, one of the uh, the founders of like Sonder House that does all our artwork and stuff. Like his punk band came up and they just like recorded an album in a week. They all just slept in the studio and camped out and like it's like what else would you you know what more could you want like it's not like fancy schmancy resort recording where you have you know but it's like a bunch of just homies sleeping in a studio not showering and like (laughs) shooting bb guns drunk around a bonfire you know (laughs) like it's just like you're just up in the boonies with no wi-fi just like making music and hanging out with your best friends you know wow that's really amazing like that is just hearing this all firsthand yeah because from the outside it doesn't seem like it seems like you're very calculated and everything and obviously you release a lot of people and stuff but you don't you don't see this community um, oh yeah yeah. on the outside yeah it's more i mean it's also partially because i'm so terrible at social media (laughs) it's just like oh here's some releases that came out what's up you know but it's like it's cool when you actually like even last week some some guy came to me they're putting on this big art fair in town and they're like oh i heard you're the guy who like does music stuff and i'm like what's up and he's like we have this big budget, it's a sponsorship. Can you book like a festival in a day? And I'm like, okay. And it's just like, just random, (laughs) randomly, we just had like eight artists that were all in town and, you know, they got to just rock on the stage and play to like hundreds of people. And just, that was it. You know, like, it's like kind of one of those things where the more you're up here, the more opportunities come because it's like, you never know. And it's like, I mean, our artists too, it's like, I've seen, it's like the other day, you know, we had an artist that like my friends, Josh and uh, Josh Jacobson and Dylan Witherow, like they started re- recording with us as ambient piano and guitar artists three, four years ago. And, you know, in that time frame, they've done their own thing. They've started doing lo-fi. They started producing for others. And they hit me up and they're like, yo, we're, uh, we're hanging out at Alaire Studios in Woodstock. We have the next four days off a tour. Like we're touring with this guy, Alec Benjamin, who's like this young pop star kid playing to like 5,000 people a night. And it's just like crazy seeing, you know, like where they've ended up. Like, it's wow. like, I remember them coming here years ago and we're all just doing, you know, whatever, doing the same, making ambient music and just getting into this world. And now they're coming to like a world-class studio on top of a mountain that's like $5,000 a day in their tour bus, you know? <laughs> so it's like to see, and it's like, yeah, like Jackie from Mount Joy, you know, she's one of our piano artists. And then I saw her at Madison Square Garden with the Lumineers, you know, like in- wow it's crazy because there's so much like it's like our artists and it's like, I think it's also a personality thing. Like I don't go for artists that are like super showy ego. Like if there's any ego or anything like that, like I'm out, you know, like if I even notice a hint of that, it's like, that's not someone I want to work with. So Mm -hmm. it's like, even our biggest artists, like someone like Will Paquin who has whatever, 400,000 TikTok followers and could like make a post about merch and sell, whatever, $10,000 worth of merch. Like he's, he's just like, I don't want to be verified. I don't want to post about mer- merch more than six months. Cause I don't want to be annoying. Yeah. I don't, you know, like, it's like, like these people are just like doing amazing stuff and playing with whoever and working with talented artists. And it's, it's not the type of people that are like in your face. Here's what I'm doing all the time. And, yeah. and I think that's part of the specialness of it is like, it really is a community and it's like, you know, it's like nice even like to take a smaller artist and be like, hey, 
just putting you on text with this person, like they're in your town next week, go to see their, their show and hang out. And like, you could tell the younger artists like, what the fuck? <laughs> you know? yeah. But it's like, but it's not like, yeah, they're not going to like treat you any different. It's not like you have to get into this cool club. It's just like, yo, we're just all like, like-minded people doing the same, the same thing. Absolutely. Know? Yeah. It's, you're really, you're single-handedly building a, such a sick community. Like, it's Dang. it's really awesome to see. I wanted to ask because you just me- kind of mentioned it. Like, yeah, yeah. Watching yourself and and other artists that maybe you signed or or released like mm-hmm. when Sonder House first started. How has that been? You know, watching everybody blow up and like actually seeing the success they, of a lot of people. Yeah, there's so many different sides of it <laughs> because it's like I think the first step was me as an artist, like you you deal with also weird stuff when you run a label and you're an artist like like it's like sometimes when I talk to somebody like Will or like we have this kid Jonah Kagan you know who like on his first song it's like 20 million streams you know like worldwide chart breaking whatever and like I'm just like dude do you understand like how rich you know like it's like you you have to deal with your own ego being a musician being like like do you know how many artists would just even die to have a thousand followers on TikTok or like Instagram you know like or just anyone that wants to buy their shit. So it's like you deal with it from that aspect. And then it is kind of one of those things where it's like grass is greener, you know, like when you see an artist gaining so much momentum and such a short time, it's like, nobody has any idea what they're dealing with or what's, what's going on. And there's, there's been some like hard moments where it's like, you know, like it's, it's sad because it's like me going through a lot of, like I've, I haven't had like, too much crazy stuff, I guess, is, like, someone who's, like, been in the industry as long as I have. But, I mean, I've had, like, you know, like, the predatory managers that come in and try to, like, sign you into shitty deals. And I've had someone try to steal my publishing. And, and when I didn't wow. understand publishing, like, they knew my mechanicals were generating tens of thousands of dollars. And they tried to – you could go in and register anyone's music. So they went in and tried to register all my songs. And then they were going to get the money and unregister them and just dip out. You know, I've had, I've had that happen with a close friend of mine. I've had like, you sign a licensing deal and then your A&R there leaves the next week and you're stuck in a deal you can't get out of, you know, like I've like had all those things happen. So there's definitely times where it's like, you know, with Jonah was like a good example of like, he was blowing up on TikTok. He had never released music out of every label that was reaching out. It's like, you know, he trusted me. We had a couple conversations and he understood, like I told him, I was like, like my whole thing too, is there's no minimum of what I could, or I don't know, like there's no like standard that I offer because our deals are usually like 15% or less and that's it. We don't own anything. Mm -hmm. So with someone like Joan, I was like, I'll take 1% of your songs, you know, (laughs) like it's like, I will, I will teach you everything about the industry explain set up your publishing for you explain how to like all this works teach you the different sides and like i'll take one percent of your shit because like it's to me it's like i don't need the money like this is you know i'm putting out your music because i love it and i like believe in you and so that situation it's like you see that happen song blows up you know eventually he got a management company they signed him to sony like he signed to arista and like that stuff is like obviously it's like not even in terms of, you know, like he wants to be like Ed Sheeran, Charlie Puth. He wants to play sold out arenas. I told him like we could get there, but it's not like, I'm not that guy, you know, like I'm not, I don't have the power to throw you on stage with like Ed Sheeran, you know, and like Arista, like 
they could probably do that if they really want to, you know? And, and I think those conversations are like tough because I almost feel like you're just taking like this, you know, it's like you have a, whatever. It's like, you're just like feeding your friend to the wolves, <laughs> you know, yeah. like it's, and it, and it hits me so hard because I'm like, fuck man, that's like a 19 year old kid that in my, whatever, to me, that was like signing his life away felt so tough, but it's also like, we had the conversation he told me, you know, I truly believe in this. And I knew like who he was as a person. And I'm like, you're a scrapper, dude. Like you, you can make it through. Like if there is one person to make it through this awful setup, like of the major labels and how they work, like you fucking fight, you know? Yeah. So, and, and from that point we had that conversation. I was like, from this point on never business shit again, we're just friends. Like you talk to me whenever you need something. And like, he still like included me on that deal, even though he had no obligation, you know, like, it's like people, if you're transparent with them and straight up, like to a fault, like, because that's my thing. It's like, I'll FaceTime with an artist for the first time and open up my distribution and show them this is exactly how it works. This is how much money I make from this. This is our licensing company. This is how it usually works, you know? And like, it's almost like any business person would never do that, you know, (laughs) because you're, you're exposing all the places where you could like, take an extra cut or make you know and and to me it's like artists trust me more when I do that and it results in you know like there's still artists that are like have access to my distribution account have access to everything I do for them they go and upload their own music for Sonder for Sonderhouse and they'll still they'll still throw me 10% just because of like I did that for years and helped them get to the point they are and it's like that's like I've never heard of any other label (laughs) you know like operate like so that's how I know, even if it's like this crazy setup and it's so like, just not the standard by any means, I'm just like, something is, is working, you know what I mean? So I just kind of go with my gut, you know? Absolutely. What motivated you to start Saunders? I know we've been talking about it a lot, but, um, yeah. and like, did you start it on your own or was it something um, that you did with someone else? So I've like always kind of had little tape labels and tried the label world and I don't think I ever truly understood it until I was like an artist making a living you know and doing it myself um and it kind of started of like uh yeah like when Spotify like I always say like like when we started Spotify that's when like Radiohead and Taylor Swift were still not on Spotify the whole the whole like music world was anti-Spotify and I was like the kind of by myself just being like this is amazing you know <laughs> like yeah. like I was like 19 20 years old just being like holy shit I'm making a thousand dollars a month this is like gonna change the world so I started doing that and I started noticing at that time it was also so much different because you could like go to an indie curator and reach out to them on Instagram and be like whoa I really like your calm piano playlist can you throw my stuff on there and like sure you know and yeah. like so I started doing that making all these connections myself and then I started just having people reach out being like, how are you doing this? Like I'm an artist myself. I make the same type of music. Like how are you getting millions of streams on your songs? And I just would start explaining like, well, these are playlists that I reach out to and this is how I do it. And like, I started understanding the Spotify algorithms and and just how the data side of it kind of worked. And then at a certain point it was like, when I first moved up here, I was going to go buy a guitar from, uh, I found on, I collected like jazz master guitars and there was a beautiful one in New York city that was like handmade. And I emailed the guy and I was like, Hey man, I want to buy this jazz master. Like I'll come to the city tomorrow. And he just responded. and was like, 
he's like, yo, man, um, this, uh, he's like, I just sold the guitar. Um, or yeah, he was like, yeah, I just sold the guitar. Sorry. And I looked in his like ending of his email. He had links to some of his music and he had a instrumental project called realizer. Um, yeah. And like I clicked on it and it was like one song he had up on Bandcamp. And like, all I said, I was like, well, man, like your music's really cool. I make like instrumental folk, like music like this. I was like, you should come up and record. And he came up, he came up the next, yeah. He just like took a public bus up here the next day from the city. And, uh, it just kind of like hit me. Like I, like I was like, oh man, come record your music. I'll help you put it out and get you on these playlists. And then he just ended up being a graphic designer. So I was like, uh, like Dutch gramophone, like the biggest classical label in the world. They have that yellow ribbon that's just on all their releases. And I was like, I kind of want to make fun of that. Like I was like, let's do, (laughs) let's just do like an awful template. That's just a photo and three lines and white space. And it's like how it started was being like, cause it's just so like pretentious, like, oh, once because there's so many artists are like once you get that yellow ribbon dutch gramophone I'm like <laughs> that's how you know you made it and like little do they know like dutch gramophone is just the shittiest label they do not pay out artists like every music business cliche so that's kind of how that started we we're like let's make a modern classical label let's make fun of like that pretentiousness let's have this template that's like whatever everyone gets the same template and it just kind of started as like almost like an experiment. I was like, I'll take 5%. You could take 5% for doing the art. And I have this great mastering engineer. Let's give him 5% and he'll master everybody's stuff. And it was just like, let's just try this experiment, <laughs> you know? And then they were both like the type of people that they're like, we don't give a fuck. Like they'll, they'll Alex mastered hundreds of albums before he ever even noticed, like, cause it's like, you're getting 5%. So it's like majority of releases, you're going to see $3, $5, $10 a month. But then we get an artist on Peaceful Piano and that's yeah. two, three hundred dollars a month from five percent, you know. Yeah. So then we started realizing like this is a long term thing. Like we're going to just be passionate and crazy and work on all this shit essentially in our heads for free because we love doing it. But then we look back and after the first year, we're like, shit, we're all making thousands of dollars. We have 100, 200 releases in there. But five percent alone is enough for all of us to make a living. But it's also like that was kind of the whole way we set it up was like the least we could take from the artists, let them own their masters in publishing, but at least be able to like, let us make a little of a living, yeah. <laughs> you know, and then, and then fuck it, let's just go to town. And I think now we've done a thousand five hundred releases. So, wow. wow. I remember, and- man, I remember when Sondra House first started coming up and stuff and I didn't know uh-huh. you were running it. I didn't know anything about it. And I was like, didn't these guys just start like six months ago? They already have like Dude, that's... <laughs> 100 releases. I was like, what the hell is going well, on? It, yeah. <laughs> I mean, even just the way a typical big indie or major operates is like a bank, you know, like it's like we give you this much money and, uh, you know, you're going to recoup that over years. And it's a, it's like the biggest artist on the label funds everybody else, you know, and it's this whole thing where like I've even done releases where it's like sub labels and majors and stuff where they're supposed to pay out quarterly and you get paid like once every two years. And it's like, Oh, sorry. Like, fuck you. You know? (laughs) Like, so it almost was like, that was the thing too. It's like in the modern classical world, it's like you had like one, six, three, one, you know, you had the deck universal, like other labels you had like Oliver's, you know, like Mercury KX and stuff, Dutch gramophone. And I just even noticed on those playlists, I was like, there's no independent labels doing this genre. Like at the time, like there was like not, 
any other independently owned modern classical labels that were really making a significant kind of impact. Um, so yeah, it kind of just started like, let's just go for it. And then it also like the beauty of it is there's no marketing, there's no budgets, there's no nothing. Like it's like an artist does a release with us and it's like, holy shit, this is amazing. I just got on this huge playlist and I'm getting 85% of all my income. I own everything. Like I'm going to give this label as much as I can. And then they tell their friends and it's like, I haven't had to A&R since we started the label yeah. because it's just, because it's just like, Hey Kyle, here's this amazing person that I also work with and know. It's all cool. I like it. Yeah. It's just yeah. word of mouth. And it's, yeah, and that's when, yeah. And once we started going into the pop world, it's like same shit, you know, like we have artists that are just like, like, you know, one of my best A&R finds was like this, uh, this girl, my A who like M A Y E, um, you know, she's like on top of the Latin indie world. She just like, played Lollapalooza going on tour with Omar Apollo and like the Maria's and like it was like my friend I played college soccer with who was just like yo dude remember my girlfriend you met in Miami like check out her first song and I was like cool he's like you still doing music stuff you know like (laughs) put out her song and overnight just like you know 30 million streams or whatever and uh (laughs) it's when yeah like when you're just like just doing it like that you know it's like you don't need to go searching for anybody you know like it's like there's very few, and it's like the way I am too. It's like, I have no, even in my like Instagram bio, it's not like, I'm like, here's all the labels I work for. And here's all the sick shit I do. You know, like I'll hit up an artist and be like, DM them. Yo, what's up? Just saw your, your video. Just heard your music. Love your tunes. Let me know if you ever want to talk. I don't, I'm not going to like pursue them. I'm not going to try to like pull some, like, look how fucking dope I am. I'm going to make you, a st-, you know? And it's yeah. funny because like two years later, that artist somehow finds a, their way back to Sonder House or my music and they're like holy shit you know <laughs> like it's like <laughs> this is you know like and I'm just like oh yeah, yeah. like you know oh, like yeah. because it's like I don't know I just would rather let it like you know if it's if it's meant to be it's like meant to be you know and, and they'll they'll find their way to either like my through my music or through one of the labels or you know sometimes just like people email us trying to get on our Sonder House playlist and I'm like, this is a great song. Do you want to try to work with us? You know, so it all, if you're just kind of like just being transparent, like everything, everything will kind of just come to you. It's all about just the energy, you know? Yeah. yeah I think it's so important what you're doing. Like, just like you said, being transparent and like on your Sonder House Instagram, all the, all the uh, music business tips and all that stuff, mm-hmm. like that stuff's oh, huge dude. and that stuff all of us had to learn on our own. You know what I mean? It's, like everybody else is getting such a head start just knowing it. It's it's fun. I love that shit. It's also like bites me in the ass a lot because yeah. like we'll have an artist who has a manager and then I post the Instagram story like fire your managers like they all fucking, <laughs> you know, they all suck. And then like I get a DM like from a manager like what's up? What's this about? I'm like sorry, dude. Like you know like yeah, what this do you, is how I feel. This is just how I feel. Like this is, yeah. you know, so it's it's definitely we're not liked by a lot of other labels because it's also like you get an art, you know, you get an artist who's in this, like, like I can't even begin to tell you how some of the fucked up shit I've seen where it's like artists, you know, managers signing artists into deals where they get 50% of all their royalties. And then there's a 10 year sunset clause. And an artist like that comes to us and I'm instantly like, here's my attorney. Let's get you the fuck out of that. And we're not working with any, you know, like it's like, stay away from that you know and i think there's definitely two sides of it you know like obviously you're going to alienate other people in the 
the industry and piss off some people, but it's like, that's, that's just rather like, you know, I've, I've definitely lost myself tons of money. You know, I've lost myself. There's a weird, like this camaraderie where like when a manager calls you or a label calls you and I work with an artist and they're trying to poach one of our artists, essentially, they talk to me like, man, we're going to really fucking make a lot of money off this kid, you know, because they don't realize like, I have no say in this deal. Like I don't own their masters or publishing. Yeah. So if you sign one of our artists with the Saunderhouse back catalog of 50 songs to, to Arista, like typically I would make out huge with that. I'd make my whatever, $80,000 and just, you know, or even more, I'd make half a million if I'm getting 50% of everything like a normal indie. Yeah. So to me, they're like talking about it, man, let's just sign this fucking deal, sign this kid's life away. And then near the end of the call, I'm like, you don't understand like anything about our label, huh? You know, <laughs> because it's like, then I have to break the news to them. Like, <laughs> number one, we're not going to sign this deal. This is shitty. But number two, like this artist, like I'm looking at this artist the same way I look at my music, you know? So like, it's, it's just kind of like opening up to them. Like, and I think that's been a funny, funny dynamic. Cause you get that all the fucking time, you know, like managers almost like confidently talking to me. Oh man, I just signed this studio. $1 million deal signed his life away, but I got my 15% of it. Oh so God, like, you know, and, and it's like, Oh yeah. You just hear that daily, you know, because they think that you're in the, you're in the same position and it's just like, no man, I let artists choose what they want to pay me. You know, <laughs> when they, when they sell their back catalog, I say, you throw me whatever you want to throw me and And that's it. You know, like, Absolutely. I don't know. So it changes kind of the dynamic in a good, a good way. Yeah, I think it's so important. Artists just have to realize they don't have to sign away their publishing. They don't have to sign away their masters. Like, even if you want to sign yeah. with a label, now it's, I feel like, starting to become more commonplace where the labels just license your masters for a certain amount of time. Yep. You don't give them away still. And, you know, that's yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, that's, even my, like, the example I always use, because I remember talking to you, like, years ago, or mm-hmm. whatever about the network deal, you know, like, and I, once I started talking to the people at network, like, so I have like eight names I make music under, you know, and I, that's one thing I always tell artists, like if you're a pop artist or whatever, you always need to have an instrumental project. Mm-hmm. You know, we have artists that have piano projects. They do acoustic pop covers, you know, like they just have this huge portfolio of different projects. Um, and the beauty of that is like, okay, with network, I was able to negotiate a deal where, you know, they gave me some money up front. I gave them 10, 10 new songs, you know, and then, that was it. Like I, you know, they don't touch the publishing. It's like the 20 year deal or whatever. And like there is indies that still do deals that aren't like super fucking shitty, you know, like, and it's like the beauty of that is like, I have my main project still, you know, they Mm -hmm. don't touch anything like that. I put all my favorite music under my own name. And then like, I don't mind going exclusive with another label for six months for them to like pump tons of marketing money and and shit that I couldn't do myself, you know, like they've, They've hooked me up with like tons of new followers on Spotify. They hooked me up with a big remix from an artist I like, you know, like I could hit them up and look at any artist on their roster and be like, I love this pop musician. Can I do a remix? And they're like, sure. You know, like it's, so there is things that like, I think it like what it comes down to is I just tell people like, as an artist, like everyone works for you, you know, like a manager is working for you. Like they should never be collecting your money and paying you out a percentage. Like, you're paying them each month or 15% or whatever, and you're getting everything first. Like a label works for you. A PR person works for you. And if, you know, and everything is, is you than them and it should never be the opposite. Um, 
And I think as long as you keep it that way, because it's like I've had artists where it's like, okay, your song is blowing up. Make sure it's registered on Song Trust or yes. like whoever. And they're like, oh, I don't. My manager set up my ASCAP account five years ago. I don't even have the login to it. And I'm like, I'm like your manager is just like from five right. years ago. Yeah, yeah, it's just taking in your pub money and you've never. And they're like, yeah, yeah, he said he would take care of it and that it was too confusing for me to understand. So, and it's and, not. Yeah, and it's not. Like you, no. Yeah, like you literally just have to be like, anyone could figure this stuff out. You know, like yeah. I I think I passed college with a 2.0. You know, like it's like the lowest GPA in school history. <laughs> Failed all my genetics like 10 times. You know, like it's like, and I still, you know, could at least just understand enough to like not get my life ruined by some, you know, so I don't know, man. It's like, I think some artists just need that because that's also always what it's been. You know, it's like, you don't understand anything. This is why we're a label. This is why we get to take half of everything you do, you know? And it's just like, it's like that stuff is just so, yeah, it's just like, it's not a thing anymore. You know yeah. what I mean? Also a thing to, for artists that are listening or whatever, like something to keep in mind is that you can negotiate everything. If somebody's coming mm-hmm. up to you wanting to sign you, it's because you have something to offer. And it's like, yep. get a lawyer, tell the yep. lawyer what you want. And if it doesn't go through, it doesn't go through. You don't lose anything. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, there's a way to make everything work in yeah. some, you know what I mean? Some kind of way. And uh, yeah. Yeah. I think it's just important to kind of know that it's like, yeah, that's kind of the primary rule. And like, if someone's going to offer you money, it's because they know they're going to make five times as much money off of you. But that's not always, that doesn't always need to be a terrible thing because maybe exactly. it's, maybe it's under your side project that you don't really care about. And it's 10 songs that you don't really care if they receive the work, you know, <laughs> like it's yeah. like, that's, you know, and it's like, you have to, and I think that's also a huge part is like when I create music, I don't have anything in mind. I'm not trying to like write, like we definitely have artists that they've told me like the same way they write a pitch for licensing music. Like that's how they look at Spotify. And maybe they have a certain project that like we have like some, we have composers that literally like go through peaceful piano. Are like, Oh, everything's at 90 BPM and it's in C major. <laughs> and they, you know, like they write it for playlist. And a lot of those artists are fucking getting insane, you know, $20,000 a month from streaming. Yeah. And they're, and it's no different than writing for a pitch, but it's like the way I look at stuff too is like, I just have nothing in mind when I'm recording, you know, I'm making whatever the fuck I want. And then once I, it's done, whatever the final project is, then I stop and I come back to it a week later and look at it purely like business wise. Like yeah. what is the the best way to get as many years as possible on this music? Where's the best home for it? How am I going to get it heard? You know, like maybe this one is just a streaming one that's going to make tons of money there, but it doesn't exist anywhere else. Maybe this is a good one for this licensing company who's going to, you know, it's going to get a thousand streams on Spotify, but it's going to make tons of money in licensing, you know? And I think you kind of have to be, you know, just looking like, which sucks. I mean, a lot of artists don't want to like look at data and analytics and have to treat, treat it like a job. But it's also like, if you want to make it work, you have to have that separation, you know, And, and you have to be smart about stuff and be honest with yourself because, that hurts for a lot of artists like oh this song has 10 million streams but 10,000 saves you know <laughs> like it's exactly, like yeah. maybe maybe people are sleeping to it and nobody's actively listening to it you know like oh this song i did with vocals has 10 times as many saves but 1/30th as many listens you know and and you just you have to be honest with yourself and you just have to like 
know how that stuff works and just kind of like, you know. Exactly. I think that's some something that, you know, we have the advantage of, or at least it seems like you do, where yeah. it's like, I, I really love diving into the uh, analytics and, and the data and I love just trying to figure it out. You know, it's like yeah. a puzzle almost. Um, but yeah, man, it's so it's, cool hearing all these things like. Yeah, I mean, it's it's scary too at Spotify. Like I tell people, I'm like, you have to also diversify yes. what you're doing because it's like, it, all it takes is one update on Spotify and like people are ready to leave. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's like 80% of your streams are coming from user curated playlist. And then Spotify is like, you know what, let's stop making these show up in the SEO, you know, (laughs) like let's, let's promote our own playlist and keep doing some sketchy shit with epidemic sound and making tons of money, you know, (laughs) like it's like, and that's all it takes. (laughs) And then like, Oh man, that artist that's like, or that label that's promoting their playlist on Spotify and making all the money that way. Like they're not, they're not able to make that that work anymore. You know? Absolutely, and that's a, that's a situation that I've gotten found myself in a couple of times actually. You know, where all of a sudden, you know, you're taking off whatever playlist, and you're like, oh, how am I gonna, you know, I've I've built my lifestyle to need this amount or whatever. Yep. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a, a tough, whole other whole other that's a uh, tough, thing. Uh, thing. <laughs> yeah, when an artist lands like a huge playlist like that, like peaceful piano. Yeah, don't get used like, to it. They're like, oh my god, what what's next? And I'm like prepare yourself to get taken off yes, because seriously. sometimes it's two months and sometimes it's years but it's like yeah. when you see that paycheck go from like fifteen thousand dollars a month to like a thousand dollars a month and you're just like oh fuck i shouldn't have just bought that fucking <laughs> tesla or whatever you know like it's yeah. like, so that's that's my my kind of like goals or, or like my things i always tell people is like you always as an artist need to worry about your short term and your long term like what is the next three months? What do I want to accomplish? And where do I want to be in two years? That's like the most important thing. Um, and then I would say like, yeah, just take any money you make from music and put it into physical assets because like I get a lot of people like that are like, yeah, like let me just invest in tons of sick music here. And I'm like, before you do that, buy a house and try to pay it off, buy a car and pay it off. Anything that's like physical, buy a small piece of land because like, if shit hits the fan, at least you could live on a fucking tiny house for free. You know, <laughs> like it's like exactly, and also know? pay your taxes. Yeah, seriously, that, bro. That find, first year, find a CPA. Yeah, <laughs> that first year where I went to like the next tax bracket or whatever, and they were like, you know, I finally talked with an actual accountant, and they're like, cool. So you've been paying like your quarterly, and I was like, what's up? And like, yeah, <laughs> you're like a sole proprietor. You, you 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 have to pay quarterly taxes over this. Uh, I'm like. Mm. and at the end they're like cool well all your late penalties plus what you owe and i'm like i don't have any of that money anymore yeah. you know exactly. like i i bought tons of stupid shit and now i'm fucked so that was a heavy <laughs> example of and i think my parents too like that was one thing like they were just like what are you are you dealing drugs like what is going oh on <laughs> you know like are you about you know like they were just terrified they're like how are you making this money what is going on is this legal are you paying your taxes? And it was, it's like a weird change, you know, but I think we all go through it. This is my little, my little like list of, uh, list of rules right there. Oh, amazing. Yeah. It's like my go-to it's number one is lead by example. Number two is repetition matters. Just always think of the long term. Mm -hmm. Uh, number three is honesty is telling the truth to ourselves and others. Integrity is living that truth. 
Uh, number four is transparency and educating go over money. So it's more, you know, transparency and education is more important than money. Yeah. And then number five is, I don't know if you know David Goggins, like the crazy, he's been in like every branch in the military and like his whole thing is like, he'll run like, I think he ran like those hundred mile ultra marathons. Like he ran like 30 of them in like two months or, you know, like he's insane, but he always says like taking souls. Like, so the last one is just take souls, but with humility, which like taking souls is essentially just like outlasting everyone else. Like, it's just like, you have that mentality where it's like, I'm not going to fucking stop until I, until I have my last breath, but it's doing that with humility. Like, yeah. I'm not trying to like bury your fucking label into the ground, but it's yeah. like, if you are like fucking over artists and doing shitty deals, I'm going to put out way more releases than you. And like when your label closes in a year, because artists are like putting together that you're just being a piece of shit. Like we'll still be there putting out all that, you know, <laughs> like yeah. just like, because it's like, that's, yeah, man, that's like my thing is I just like, even it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm just kind of out of my mind. I'll be like in the hospital, just like sending emails and uploading fucking songs to you know, like <laughs> distro, like when I'm like, you know, so, but that's just. Imagine if every label went by those rules, though. <laughs> yeah, I know. It'd be a lot of good music. S- yeah. Good music and very sleep deprived out of their mind people. But Man, that's amazing. It's what it's all about, you know, just wow. creating this, this story, man. Wow. So, yeah, like, I guess to wrap it up, I guess you've kind of gone over it, but over the next long term, five, ten years, where would you like memoir, Kyle McAvoy, whatever, to, to be? You know, where yeah. would you like it to all with, um, It's cool. Right now it's kind of like uh, I just kind of went on my, like, sabbatical almost <laughs> where the last – all summer, like, I, I also, like, really toned it down with, like, how much stuff I was doing, um, which is still, like, a pretty, pretty crazy amount, but I've been able to start kind of working for other, other labels, uh, and kind of just helping with, like, you know, if it's, like, a label that I align with, like, my whole thing is, like, if I've released with them as an artist, I'm happy to, to work for them and change their, I guess kind of changed their mindset, you know what I mean? Like about like how they're doing business because it's like that, that was kind of something that I, I think when I got into Sonder House, it's like, okay, well, that would be pretty like contradicting if I worked for other labels that were signing artists to like crazy deals, you know? And, and I kind of like in the past couple of years have just like really started to take a stand for myself with that. And like also just make sure that I'm like, doing that on all ends and trying to get our like labels to see other sides of it. So with, uh, yeah, with memoir, like I've, I started working a bit more on the chill hop side with kind of just like A&R and consulting. Okay. Um, I'm working for a couple other like indie labels, just doing like kind of like stuff where it's almost like when an, an artist is ready to like take their Sonder house back catalog. And they're like at a point in their career where they want to slow down and do that deal. We could do it in a way that's not like, signing their life over you know like we we could still sign like a artist friendly deal you know that's like enough money for them to chill and retire and do whatever um and i think it's kind of more like yeah we've had some artists that have just really started like taking off so much that it's just focusing on these people that are doing like incredible stuff you know so i guess in like the uh yeah and the shortest way to put it it's like 
working for a couple different licensing companies and labels that I really admire and really love what they do and think that they are doing it for the right reasons and, and have these great deals with Sonder House, just focusing on the people that I've been able to like do amazing shit that I can't even like fathom and just helping them like make what they have now and make that sustainable. Um, and then as a whole, just like trying to become just like as a person, just do stuff that I, I also want to do outside of music because I've just spent whatever, I'm 27 now. So it's pretty much been almost like eight years straight of just like music business yeah. working, whatever, 60, 70 hour weeks, like losing my mind. And, uh, it sounds kind of crazy, but right now my big goal in life is I want to open a dog park. Like, oh, nice. <laughs> like that's, <laughs> that was kind of what I took out of my sabbatical is like the only other thing that I possibly care more than music is dogs. And like me getting a dog a couple of years ago, just like changed my life. And, uh, in the town I live in, there's no dog park. And like, oh, wow. so we're, we're about to actually take like a road trip across the country to check out. There's like this incredible indoor dog park in Kansas city. Um, and we're just going on like a dog park tour, me and him. <laughs> and, and that's like what I want to do. Like I want to come back and just like have, I want to make like a co-op dog park that also has an indoor part because up here it's like in the middle of winter, yeah. you know, like it's like, you don't want to stand out in a blizzard, but you got to wow. take your dog out. So I'm, I want to make like an indoor dog park with a little bar, place to hang, be able to book bands, you know, and do like shows and events there and like have a property that's just like super happy dog land. So wow. that's, that's awesome. and I think, and I think with the music stuff, it's just going to be a matter of like what, like as I start doing other kind of things, you know, and like working more with just like specific artists and kind of stuff outside of music, like the important stuff just keeps sticking to you. You know what I mean? So yeah, I think I kind of just needed, uh, just kind of switch it up a bit, you know? And, and I think we're in a cool place where a lot of the artists are so self self-sustaining and essentially running the label with me. Like it's like a co-op thing already. So I just kind of want to let people keep doing their thing and, and just kind of do some sick dog shit, man. That's awesome. <laughs> That's amazing. Just... Yeah, I love this. The more people we talk, like talk to, the more I realize everybody's thinking out of the box yeah. and not so traditionally. And it's so sick oh, to yeah. hear. Like, I didn't. Th- I who would have ever known <laughs> that, right? Like, that sounds sick. Yeah. An indoor kind of hanging out dog park thing would be amazing. Yeah. Like, well, and just when you get to a certain level of doing stuff for long enough like you don't even think like there's no like networking like stuff just happens and like it's like the thing with the the old guy who just comes and is like i have tons of money book all these bands you know and that stuff becomes like i've had some really crazy opportunities where like people want to invest in what i'm doing you know like and it's not even like a set thing they're just like i have these connections or this money how can i help you do something cool and it's like about taking that and being like you know what let's put together a festival next year with tons of artists and book everyone's favorite bands and put all like small local bands with them, which is also like a hint at something else I'm potentially <laughs> doing. But uh, yeah, just like shit like that, you know, it's like who doesn't want to hook up 20 of your favorite friends and artists like with amazing opportunities and, and playing with their favorite people. So I think now's the time just to make like some big, big steps musically and outside of music, you know? Absolutely. Wow, man. So, 
this has been a real pleasure talking with you honestly yeah, yeah. Hearing sorry you. i'm very i'm a very like uh, it takes like usually i'm one of those people that i always tell people like it takes like 10 times of like hanging out with me to understand anything about my brain because it's fucking every <laughs> everywhere so like i'll have an entire podcast that's supposed to be about music business and i'm just talking about like dogs and stories on tour no, you know that's what i mean great. <laughs> like, that's exactly oh, what we I, wanted yeah. and yeah, honestly there's but... so many questions that we didn't get to so i'm really excited <laughs> to do this again <laughs> i was gonna say we could always do part two yeah and, uh, for sure it's very it's hard to get me focused on like anything in particular because i just love like just hanging dude that's my whole life is just a big a big hang that's, that's amazing yeah, yeah that's exactly what that's we're looking what we for want, like yeah. this isn't yeah. a music business podcast this is just like getting to know your favorite artist yeah, and stuff, yeah. You know? um but with that being said i mean next time we go to the adirondacks too we'll make a couple hour drive out to woodstock yeah, <laughs> yeah dude come to the catskills and come come chill dude There's absolutely beautiful, uh, beautiful stuff up here but yeah like she said we have so many other <laughs> questions we're definitely gonna have to do a part two yeah but uh let's do, let's do a part two for sure yeah all right thank you everybody for listening oh, yeah. um and thank you kyle seriously yeah, thank for, you. for coming on to this thank so you guys inspiring so much. and motivational this was, loved yeah. it this was cool man yeah and this is this is what artists should be doing too you know absolutely go check yeah. out kyle's music go check out sonder house go check out memoir go check out the tips that kyle has on the saunder house instagram just support it's, it all support everything support <laughs> artists go to Bandcamp, buy your favorite artist record or yeah. something be on the lookout be yeah. on the lookout for dog park and yeah. Yeah. <laughs> share your favorite music and all that and uh hell yeah yeah we'll uh talk, talk to later. everybody later oh <laughs> yeah dope guys <laughs>